Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 52 with my friend Emily. This was a fantastic time catching up um, with someone who I really didn't know that well. We just had a class together and kind of kept in touch via social media since then. And I really got to know her very well and the things she's gone through and what a what an amazing, strong person Emily is. Um, and the work she's done on herself through therapy and growth is, is just remarkable. And I hope you guys get that same impression. I think you will. We do not have an Ask a Therapist uh, se- section session <laughs> this week, but that will be returning in a couple weeks. Holidays kind of screwed that schedule up a little bit, but don't worry. Your favorite therapist, Jenny Helms, will be back. And be sure to tune in next week for a special episode with her, as per usual, the third week of the month. And without further ado, though, let's dive into this awesome interview with my friend, Emily. Well, thanks for taking some time for me. Yeah, this is like a little vacation for me. Yeah, I I, I imagine having a child, (laughs) a newborn, especially right now, is... uh not easy (laughs) no it's not it's been tough but i would say we just like slid out of the fourth trimester which is right at 12 weeks and it seems this last week i don't want to jinx it to be getting a lot easier so fingers crossed (laughs) but it's crazy being a mom is wild yeah i bet um, it's what I wanted, though. I wanted it so bad for so long. That's what I tell myself every time I'm getting frustrated or it's really challenging, you know? Yeah. And I have questions about that as, as well. Um, but I'm excited to have a conversation because I haven't been like, I, when I started therapy like two and a half, three years ago, that was when I really talked about like my life. And now I'm yeah. in more of maintenance therapy. So I'm looking forward to like kind of <laughs> diving in a little. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm so nervous though, too. I told Frank, I was like, last night I told him, I said, I feel like the night before a test (laughs) and like I didn't study for it. (laughs) I'm actually flattered by the amount of pressure you put on yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Like I don't feel pressure. I just feel nervous. Like, I don't know why it's just silly, but my number one goal is that you're comfortable. So (laughs) don't, don't worry about that. Um, there's never been anything that I've done on here that I'm like, gotcha. Now I'm going to publish it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I mean, I usually start out with how I know people and you, okay. you are a unique situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. We had a class together, which is funny because I don't know if you know, if you watch the show community or if you ever did, but. I didn't until the pandemic hit and we were like, oh my God, we need something to watch. Frank was like, just please watch it. Cause I didn't really like the office and I didn't really like, um, what was the other one? Parks and Rec. Yeah. But we started community and I binged that show. It was so effing funny. He's like, you like it cause it's so crass. So I, when I, I, I watched community, I loved community. Like since it premiered, it was my favorite show. And, uh, so when I started OCC, I was like, I'm going to have experiences like this. And then that like never happened. And even if someone was like friendly with me, there was enough of an age difference to where I was like, this is either creepy or inappropriate. I don't know. But the class we had together was unique (laughs) in that uh, everybody was very open about themselves. um, And for the most part, I didn't feel like it was in like an, like a toxic oversharing sort of way. 
No, I can completely agree with you there. I feel like that was one of my favorite classes I ever took yeah. because everybody was so non-judgmental and it was really interesting. I feel like there was like throughout the semester, everybody kind of slowly or at some point got a lot of their own story out. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. That was a really unique group of people in that class. Yeah. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that class is the one that even if it's just like social media, that class is the one that I still talk to people from, you know, like, is it? Do you still? Yeah. That's yeah. really awesome. Um, I mean, probably like you more than anyone else, but yeah. So it, it just having that kind of shared vulnerability and feeling like it really was kind of a safe space. Uh, plus I was like going through my own shit at the time. So I was like, cool outlet. Um, I think we all are going through some shit. I mean, I remember <laughs> I didn't get, I was going through my pregnancy struggles then. Yeah. Like I didn't get pregnant till almost the end of the semester. And like there, I mean, we all kind of talked about our, we touched on our drug use and that was kind of fun, you know, finding common ground there in, in a substance abuse class Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the teacher just staring at us like no comment. <laughs> but I think that's when, um, Lisa got sober too during that class. I think there was a couple people in that class that got sober during that semester. That's crazy. It's crazy. I know. Yeah. That was the beginning of my sobriety. Cause I, I quit drinking June 24th and then that class started end of August. So yeah, I yeah. remember that was just the timing of it all. I mean, yeah, that's nuts, but it was a lot it of is. fun. And, and we kind of, uh, I think I put it in a, in a chic way and said we vibed well together. <laughs> but I thought so too. I agree. No, I was like looking forward to this too, and I'm glad I follow you on social media. You know, yeah, it's cool to stay in touch with people. I I don't I can't think of off the top of my head very many other people that I've been in school with that I kept in touch with. Uh, yeah, but yeah. So other than social media, I mean, we haven't like talked, and so I'm super excited for this, and I know. Yeah. I don't, actually, I don't know. I was about to say, and I know some stuff about you, but you know what? Let's just say I don't know. Um, cool. Let's start and, there. But let, let's go all the way back in time to your born. Um, did you grow up around here? So I've always lived in Michigan with the exception of like six months that I moved to Utah um, when I was like 20. And I grew up all over, like lower mid-Michigan kind of. Um, there's so much, like so many layers <laughs> Yeah, let's let's. I'm trying not to like. Jump we'll take ahead. it so one step layers, at a yeah. time. Do you have any siblings? I'm the oldest of ten. No shit. Yeah, so it's what? a little mixed. I know, I know. <laughs> How many are are they oh. all full siblings? So the oldest three are my mom and my dad, and then the middle three are from my stepmom Erica, and then the youngest three are from my dad and my stepmom Erica but then my mom also has another daughter so it's so confusing there's, so if you draw a tree there. <laughs> it's a lot there yeah so basically so I would say I'm the oldest of 10 yeah right yeah 10 so sorry it's confusing I'm like did I what's the closest in age to you my sister Allison so it goes me wait the, this whole year has been completely just that's, squashed that's yeah I'm I'll be 28 in January um, my sister Allison is 23. Um, so, so we're like, years. yeah, right okay. at five years. So what do your parents do when you're born? Like for work? Um, for... I'm pretty sure my dad worked at Nankin Hardware. Okay. And my mom, I honestly actually don't know. And I've actually been trying 
not trying, trying, yeah, trying to remember to ask her what she did after I was born. Cause I know that she breastfed me for like a year, but I don't know if she was off of work for that time. And I think I'm asking myself that question because I'm, Can't I have a baby work. now yeah, and I'm yeah. like, it <laughs> takes up so much time. It's a full time um, job. So, but the job I remember my mom having, she was a hairdresser and she was like a waitress. So I don't know if she was waitressing then or if she had already gotten her like hair degree or what. Um, so, um, so that's a question mark, but my dad always worked at like naked hardware. But so you remember that store. You said the next two kids are from your mom and dad, right? Mm-hmm. So what? So I was an only child for the first five years. Do you remember when your sister was born? I don't. I have a lot of like like blank spots in my childhood Same. and it's trauma related yeah um what what do you think the, spawned that so young like what was your pre or sister being born like well i i mean not that you're gonna have much memory from then anyway because you're so young but sure like, that no time i have, period i have really spotty memories i have like three solid memories um from I think before my sister was born and one of them was I remember playing in our front yard. We lived in a trailer in Redford and I remember playing in like the side. So it should be the, it was more like the side yard. And I was playing with my Barney doll. I don't know if you remember that show Barney, but my favorite, I, yeah. I still have it to this day. And I remember cutting out his, like one tooth to make it look like he lost a tooth <laughs> And I remember my dad coming home from work and I, I like knew that I convinced him that he, that Barney lost his tooth because I was playing baseball with him. Like it is such a vivid memory. I have another memory and I think it had to have been before my sister was born. It was Christmas one year and my mom and my dad both had white kids and Christmas morning I wanted a pair so bad and it was the very last present that was behind the tree, stepped in the back, and it was a pair of white kids for me. And we rolled up to my grandma's house looking fly, and we all matched. <laughs> so I'll start with those good memories because there's not a lot of them. But the other memories I have are really pivotal in yeah. my in my trauma, I guess you could say. My parents were super young. Let me start by saying this. My mom, was, my mom turned 20 years old two weeks before she had me. Okay. So she turned, and my dad is like, he was maybe 23. I, I, you know, he's only a couple years older than my mom. Um, so they were both super immature. And like my dad grew up in a household where there's some, it was questionable. He was the youngest. He was, there's a lot of stuff. He, I'll, I'm going to say this disclaimer right now because I'm, I feel like I'm going to say a lot of negative things about my parents, but my dad in particular, yeah. I know that everything that happened to me is a result of unresolved trauma in their lives i know that my parents didn't know any better and my dad is a very broken person that he doesn't and he didn't know any better it was just the that's a huge thing to be able to say it's taken a lot of therapy yeah no i'm (laughs) very familiar with that theme Yeah, it's taken a lot of therapy, but I just, I feel like going into all of this, I'm going to say a lot of things and it's going to sound like I'm just bashing him. Yeah. Um, But I know that some of my family will end up hearing this podcast. So I just want to put that disclaimer out there right now um, that I know that what happened to me as a child was a result of emotionally, mm, what's the right word? Emotionally. Well, can I, can I. Immature, emotionally immature. 
I was is the say, word I'm um, The thing I always hear repeated from uh, therapists worldwide, <laughs> uh, hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> exactly. So, and yeah. that, that was the biggest lesson, you know, like I minimized a lot of my trauma for a long time, but now I own it. And I know that I was bitter and angry about it for so long. Yeah. And coming to terms with the fact that it wasn't ever done on purpose but not minimizing it to a point where I say it was what happened was okay. Cause what happened wasn't okay, Yeah. but it wasn't done maliciously. So I'll, I'll say that before I go on with my stories. Well, do you want to, I mean, it sounds like it started early. So did you want to like start down that road or like what? what yeah. Were... I, I mean, my, my parents were together, um, they met actually at a church camp. They were both counselors and my mom got pregnant and then they got married and she was pregnant with me and they moved in together. They got this little trailer in Redford. I still remember it. It was blue. Um, and I have a handful of memories at that trailer. We were there until I, my mom left my dad when she was pregnant with my brother, Jacob and my sister, Allison was like a year old ish and I was five and we went and stayed that summer with my aunt Sonia, my mom's only sister. And when we came back, we moved into a different trailer in that same okay. like yeah. trailer subdivision or trailer park is what it's called. <laughs> I don't have like a ton of like I, I feel like there's some memories that trick me into thinking they're a memory, but it's just a picture that I've seen or a story. So, yes that i heard i do that constantly and it makes me second guess so much shit um yeah because it's it, it's crazy have you ever had an experience where you think you remember something but then someone in your life tells you that, that didn't happen or you're remembering it wrong yeah i mean that i have that's almost like triggering for me because it's just like you everybody experiences things differently um sure. you know like so i'm not gonna branch off on myself too long but <laughs> So I went to, no, do you know Havenwick? Is it a school? No, it's a, it's a psychiatric hospital um, over in Auburn. Oh, House. okay. Um, okay. I went there when I was 11. And okay. my recollection of the day, like, I came home from school and my mom's like, we're taking you in, <laughs> is very different than hers. So if she ever hears sure. me tell the story, it's always like, that's not what happened. And be like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> As, as the 11 year old, uh, this is how it happened for me. So yeah, there's a lot of that that's happened. Yeah. There's a lot of, of trauma that happened with my dad and my stepmom and, um, her three kids. And that is the biggest theme. Anytime it gets brought up. I mean, I haven't spoken to them in over a year, okay. but my, the parents, yeah. yeah. Um, I still speak to my step siblings all the time and I love them dearly. Um, but yeah, that's a lot of the times too. Like I, there's a lot of things that like I've never really brought up directly with my dad because anytime I've ever tried to bring up, um, concerning things happening with him and like the younger kids, it's always, you're not here. You don't know. You don't remember correctly. It's, it's, it's almost like gaslighting constantly when you're trying to challenge what an adult's memory is of something because they're going to remember a version that serves them well. And for the most part, in my experience, what you remember as a child is imprinted on you so significantly that you're going to remember what really happened, you know? Yeah. And adults have a way of forgetting how terrible things were and forgetting, you know, their parenting mishaps and whatnot. So 
Yeah, I think um, a lot of it too is is uh, you know, the older you get, the more you can, especially if you have any sort of addiction um, history. Like, and I say this personally, you can rationalize anything. <laughs> so, oh sure. Like oh, I'm yeah. I'm an expert rationalizer. Like you never manipulate anyone as much as you manipulate yourself. <laughs> in order to... <laughs> I like that quote. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, so that's. Yeah, that I might have to write that one down. That just came to me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, write it down. I'm gonna write that down. It's Fucking true. spot on. Look at that. So there, there's where am I at? Your mom leaves your dad. You're five. Your brother's just born. No, he or, was. He's my mom was even, pregnant. Oh, my mom was pregnant yet. with my dad. I remember the day my mom left my dad. It's one of the. It's a memory that came to me when I was. I would say give or take twenty years old. And it just like came in like a freight train. And I remember standing on the porch of our trailer, staring up at my dad. My mom was holding my sister Allison on her left hip. I was holding my mom's right hand. And I was looking up at my dad through the screen and he was like weeping. And I was like, dad, it's okay. Like we're going to be home on Sunday for dinner. Like we're just going to Aunt Sonia's for the weekend. And we never went back. How is that for you as a kid being like having the understanding you're going to be home Sunday and never going home? I don't remember. Like, I, I remember that summer at my Aunt Sonia's house. I remember spending a lot of time alone. So it was in Flint off of Corona Road. And there used to be a big flower nursery there. And they had a rental house that was right next to the flower nursery. And I remember spending a lot of time, like, near the flowers by myself. Yeah. So I'm sure that was my little five-year-old way of processing, like, something that had happened but yeah, like the only other memory I have there was when there was like a crazy ass tornado. Um, but I don't have a ton of memories of that. And it wasn't until I started going to see a chiropractor two year, two-ish years ago that I found out why that was the day my mom left. And I found out because my mom had to fill out a form for me. Basically, it was like a questionnaire asking about things that had happened as I was a ch- while I was a child. Yeah. Um, that could have maybe misaligned something in my body, my neck. You know, did I have any like at car accidents? Did we have any of this, that, the other? And it was a question along the lines of, did you ever experience any like physical abuse or neck like trauma to your neck as as a child? And she clicked yes. And she wrote, the day I left her dad, he had her in a one hand chokehold up against the wall as a five year old. Jeez. And she said that, I mean, that went down a rabbit hole of me asking her questions because she said, I honestly thought you knew. And I was like, no, I've never thought that my dad ever put his hands on any of us, you know? Yeah. And I will say to this day, I don't think he's a physically abusive person. I don't at all. Yeah. And she told me that one of my aunts was aware of it. And that's why she left that day. She's like, no, like you do not put your hands on my child. And the story was that he got so frustrated with my mom And I was bothering him and he's got a short fuse and he just picked me up by my neck and put me up against the wall and it choke hold. And yeah, so that was the day. And it's interesting connecting the dots of me remembering us physically leaving, but remembering nothing before that, that day. So you spend the summer at your aunt's. Um, How is it that your mom goes back to the same trailer park that your dad is living in i would i would just assume that like you know they would find more distance between them well she had a 
a job. Actually, I think she was working like three jobs at the time. My mom hustled and she never asked for help from her parents. Like yeah. to this day, like she is the kind of person that won't ask for help. Um, but my understanding is that we moved back there because I think I, oh, I must have not been in school yet or I was in kindergarten. I don't know. It was because of the area that she lived in. It was all okay. where everything was. And it was probably an affordable trailer. Yeah. We, you know, we were not well off then. Um, and I also, I don't want to speculate and I'll never know the real answer to this, but there was a neighbor, his name was Craig and my mom later married him. And so there is yeah. speculation Who that knows? there was something, there was speculation there was something going on. I remember going over to Craig's trailer because he had two daughters, Lauren and Ashley, older than I was. And I have super fond memories of them. Um, Craig was horrible to me, though. Like, that was my, my, my teenage trauma, like my early preteen trauma. A lot of it that I thought came from my dad really came from Craig. Um, he hated me. He wanted nothing to do with me. But he was there when my brother Jacob was born. So weird dynamic. I had a completely yeah. different relationship with Craig. How was than... he with his own daughters? great i mean he took care of them i remember being jealous that like they got braces or like at, one of them got braces and like he like he really took care of them did you he feel really like did. you were just like this added burden that he didn't want or a hundred and ten percent like i don't have any fond memories of craig i feel like he just the way I put it is I feel like he hated me. I feel like I was just terrible to him. Yeah. And looking back, it makes me, I'm past the anger, but it does make me angry thinking of like, you chose to marry my mother knowing that I was part of the package and you wanted nothing to do with me. And I do looking at it from a psychological point of view, I think that he was a little bit, meaner to me because he didn't want his daughters who were close in age to me to think that I was replacing them because they didn't live with him full time. And I now did. Gotcha. So what, so, um, how old are you when your mom marries him? I was 10. Okay. Yeah. So by that point we had moved into, he had a house in Redford. He was a police okay. officer and de detective by the way. So he was pretty stern about yeah. everything. <laughs> So um, what's your relationship like with your dad when you guys are all living in the same place? So I don't really remember going over there much. Like I, it's very broken memories. Um, we, he, I don't think that he lived in that blue trailer, the original trailer very long because he quickly married somebody named Jamie. So my mom right now is married to her fourth husband and my dad, Erica, is my dad's fourth wife. Wow. <laughs> so there's a lot in there. Yeah. Well, let me, I'm going to go down a little sidetrack rabbit hole here. Um, how long have you been married? I've been married, it was two years in September. Okay. And how long yeah. were, were you guys together before you got married? Two years. So what is your relationship life like before you meet him? Like, what are your teenage into your early 20s? Oh, my God. I was super promiscuous. Like, 
I don't want to be like I was a little friggin' hoe, but I looked for love in all of the wrong places. And I, I gave, too was a little hoe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I gave my body and soul to anybody who would take it. And I'm surprised I didn't end up in a lot more dangerous situations because I put myself in dangerous situations. And I was just looking for any sort of love and connection from anybody that would give it to me. And I never really had a long-term relationship before Frank that was an actual relationship. Um, I had dated this guy named David um, and he was wonderful. He wanted to save me and fix me so badly. And I was just too much for him looking back. It was terrible. Other than that. Yeah. Like I didn't really, I, I, I guess I should say I never wanted to settle down. I never wanted to get married and I never wanted to have children. Well, yeah, I imagine that's why I asked because going through all that with your parents, with the multiple marriages and like shitty partners, I I imagine when you got to the stage where you're like trying to find a partner that you were like, I don't want any of this. Like, I know I have to go down this road to some degree, but I don't want any of it. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I definitely looked for love and I wanted attention, but I didn't want any commitment. Like I, yeah, like I never wanted that. I just didn't want anything to do with commitment because I thought that I could never be loved. And that was another thing working through in therapy. Like I thought that I was unlovable because I had been used, but I allowed myself to be used, you know? So it's complicated, but I have a, an extremely healthy and happy relationship now and I'm grateful for it and I'm grateful yeah. for my son and it was wild before that though like Yeah, I uh I'm uh, I started dating my wife right after I moved back from LA. But like so the two years leading up to meeting her and uh, <laughs> not not my greatest. Um Yeah, it's like questionable times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh anyway. <laughs> so I'm wondering as a, as the oldest, and then all these kids, like the more of the years that go by, the more kids start showing up as permanencies in your life to some degree. Do you feel like you, once you hit like maybe teenage years, like, are you getting, um, I don't know what words I'm looking for here, like acceptance, validation, like, are you getting the nurturing that you need at that point? Or have you just, are you just kind of like living there and I feel like I was fending for myself starting at about I don't know I feel like I've always fended for myself to be honest like I can't really put an age on it because so when you say all these kids show up I just would say my dad didn't marry Erica until I was 15 or 16 so It was just me, Allison, and Jacob. However, my dad was gone on and off from the time I was, like, 10 to 15. Like, there was a five-year gap there where he was just MIA. And that in that time frame is when he had ended up marrying his third wife. So, no, I don't feel like I ever, bringing it back to your question, got much of the validation and love that I needed. I think my mom was in survival mode. She was in a marriage where from my understanding towards the end Craig was not loyal to her thinking back on all of the quote-unquote late nights he'd worked at the police station and all of the hunting weekends he had gone on I think there was something else going on 
Um, and then, and again, there's a lot of things that are speculation that I will never know the answer to, but in yeah. my heart, I believe to be true, you know, based on the circumstances. But yeah, I mean, I think my mom staying with Craig, despite how terrible he was to me, was because he could provide for us a life that she couldn't provide for us. And my dad being okay with kind of up and leaving and disappearing and abandoning us was because in his mind, he thought that we had a healthy, stable home. And it was stable, more so, I think, for Allison and Jacob because Craig adored them, you know. And I have my own thoughts on the impact that everything happened on my siblings, especially on my brother, Jacob, but it's not my story to tell. So yeah. I think that I'll leave that part out just because I want to respect so my when, brother. When do your mom and Craig get divorced? They got divorced right after I turned 15. It was okay. 2008 was a wild year. So <laughs> 2008, January, uh, my birthday is January 19th. I get a phone call from my dad on my 15th birthday and it was the first time I'd heard from him in years. He picked me up that weekend to go out to eat for my birthday. And we went to Logan's. Is that the one where you could throw peanuts on the floor? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. We went to Logan's. And at the time, I was dating a guy named Brandon. And on my takeout box, I wrote, I heart Brandon. And I left it in the back of his Jeep. And he had went home. And apparently Becky found that carryout container and lost her shit. She was like, how dare you see your children? Like scolding him. Like he was not allowed to see us. And from stories, from the story my dad told me the way, the way it happened is she found that they got into like a screaming match and he was like on his knees in the kitchen crying saying like, I can't do this anymore. Like I need to have, I need my kids. Um, And then they got divorced quickly after that. And he broke it off with her. Um, And that summer, so let me just rewind a little bit more to 2008. (laughs) There was a lot that happened that year because that was the year that my mom divorced Craig. Yeah. So my mom left Craig that spring. So my dad comes back in January, right? Um, Meanwhile, you're like finishing freshman year of high school. (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. So my dad comes back in. January, my birthday, spring, my mom's like, I'm divorcing Craig. I just want you to know she had already been dating somebody named Basil and my mom, we moved out and we moved into this little house, this little bungalow. And shortly after Basil moved in and I was like, oh, hell no. Like not another motherfucker trying to act like my dad. (laughs) So him and I did not get along and I know why looking back, you know, but he did not like me and he is the reason my mom kicked me out when I was 15 years old. And I, my dad was, so I spent, sorry, it's jumbled. I, so spring we moved out, Basil moved in. My dad was back in my life at that point. And at that point I had been going to and from my dad's every other weekend, he was seeing us and my dad was a severe, severe alcoholic at that point. Like, blackout throwing up every night going to work drunk in the morning like but he was excuse me he was a functioning alcoholic and i would get drunk with him every weekend i was there 
Ah, so so he was trying to be drinking? my friend. How old were you when you first started drinking? I had to have been 15 because I never drank with my friends. Gotcha. I didn't really drink drink until that summer with my dad. Well, and... I imagine you just you found something that for the first time, like you can do with your dad, then your dad, like I, you, there was a connection there that you'd probably been longing for, for. Oh, sure. <laughs> up until that point. And he, well, right. And, and he was looking to be my friend because he was looking to make up for lost time. And I understand that now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was crazy. And that summer towards the end of, well, no, it actually, it was after I started 10th grade. So I started 10th grade in Grand Blank and I was a cheerleader and it was right as football season was ending, my mom kicked me out. She was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, that's how I remember it is me just not getting along with Basil. Basil hating me. Basil thinking I was so disrespectful to my mom. Her saying I can't do this called my dad. All my shit was in black plastic bags. And we shoved it in the back of my dad's car. And I moved in with him. And it was one week before that I had found out after the fact that my dad got a DUI and he stopped drinking cold turkey. So I moved in with my dad that fall a week after he quit drinking after spending after not seeing him for five years, basically him coming back into my life, me getting just wasted with him all the time, then moving in with him. There was a lot that happened that year. And (laughs) it was crazy because I remember he like, he would drink coffee, like he would drink like a pot of coffee when he got home from work at night because he wasn't drinking alcohol. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just it was crazy. I look back and it was just like so much happened that year. And that whole summer I remember sneaking out of my little brother's window and I would sneak off and do these crazy things and, you know, give myself to anybody that would have me. Um so that was just a crazy year. A lot happened and Then it was the following year. You know, I actually, living with my dad during that time, taught him how to use a laptop. And I helped him set up his dating profile, which he then met Erica on. (laughs) And that is the rest of history. I mean, they met and got together when I was, I had been 16 at that point because I turned 16 in January. So, yeah. What, um, just like kind of shifting a little outside of the house. Like mm-hmm. what's, what's school like, what's your social life like, um, leading up to high school. And then once you're there, I mean, I think you kind of gave me a little bit of glance into what that looks like, but I was so self-conscious. Like I remember I had such severe bulimia for years, starting probably around age 10 or 11. Um, and it coincides with when my dad was gone, looking back, knowing now. Yeah. Um, I was super self-conscious, though. And, like, I feel like I had a lot of friends, though. Like, I feel like, looking back, like, I had a group of people. But I really didn't have, like, I was always jealous of the quote-unquote popular girls. And, like, I never felt like I was popular. And I had my best friend, Lauren. And I love her dearly. And, like, her and I had adverse childhoods with our parent experiences and so that was something her and I bonded over and we spent a ton of time together so I would say she was the number one person I hung out with during all of that um but I don't think she knew about my sneaking out and I don't think she knew I was drinking with my dad yeah so So it was like 
there was a lot of stuff secret and I, I was a cheerleader. So I desperately wanted to fit in. There's a lot you're, uh, you're probably hiding from your parents at that point. Mm-hmm. And now you're hiding stuff from your friend. Oh yeah. It was like, um, I was living a double life. So like that in itself, like that's like perfect recipe for a bunch of shame. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, shame so much. So where, where, where was your safe space during any of this time? Did like, uh, and I, I asked that because I, at one point, created it myself, right? Like, I hated being at home, hated being at school, so I just started skipping school so I could be at home by myself. <laughs> sure. Um, so did you have anything or anywhere that you were like, like, did you find yourself, was cheerleading something where you picked an extracurricular thing so you could just be immersed? No, no. to be honest, I fucking <laughs> hated cheerleading <laughs> I hated it I didn't give a shit about doing it yeah. but I did it because it was something to do um and it was a way for me to have like that quote-unquote group of friends that I always wanted because we'd moved around so much yeah um so you know I, I I'm inclined to say that my safe space was my grandma Margaret but at the same time that wasn't something that was like all of the time um, and she wasn't somebody that I was like consistently confiding in, but I always, she was the only place that I felt safe, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but no, like I didn't looking back, like, I don't feel like I ever had like a, a safe space. I don't feel like I had somewhere where I could let my, my heart breathe. It was just constantly being ran over everywhere that I turned. Yeah. So what's high school like? So are I was in student, grand... student wise. Are you like, I was always an A student. I okay. was a great student. Yeah. I wasn't, I didn't flunk. I mean, until my senior year, which is a whole story. I was a great student. I wasn't like top of the class honor roll student, but I was a, a A's and B's consistent. Did you get any, I don't know that I ever, did you get any like praise for that at home or was that something like you did on your own? I feel like it just wasn't even acknowledged. Yeah. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like expected of me and it wasn't something that I was punished for. But if did I you create that expe- expectation for yourself? I guess is what, what do you mean? Like, was that something that you were able to control and do and be proud of that no one else could take away from you? Absolutely or... not. Okay. I 100% school just came so easy to me and I just I just skated by it was not something that I thought twice about getting getting A's and B's was just me functioning on autopilot okay just curious yeah (laughs) yeah no that was not something it was not a source of the, the the only source of control that I can identify is the sex and the eating disorder yeah for How the long two things. Did that last the the eating disorder? You know, I was talking with my husband about it last night and I and I had made a comment cuz I'm watching The Crown. I don't yeah. know if you have watched that. Uh-oh. And Princess Diana apparently has bulimia. Or she had bulimia. And I don't even re- like I don't even remember when I stopped making myself throw up. I it I wasn't even in therapy. Like I I would say it really is 
sad. It coincides when my dad came back in my life. Like, I feel like I stopped making myself throw up impulsively around aged 15, 16. Yeah, I don't think it's sad. I, th- I mean, I think it makes sense. It's it's good that you can tie those things together. <laughs> like, looking at it, I'm like, it kind of started when he kind of disappeared and it kind of stopped, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would say maybe completely stopped by the time I was, like, 18, like, out of high school. Like, it wasn't, like... Because there was a time where I couldn't drink a glass of water without throwing it up because I did not want to feel anything in my stomach. Yeah. Um, but it was it was pretty severe like that for a while. And my mom found out when I was maybe 14 and we lived in we lived with Craig still. And I'll never this is a huge thing of shame. Part of the shame that I felt, too, is she found out because I had like clogged the sink or something. And she sat me down and she's like, I want you to know how selfish it is because now I have to take you to therapy. Thanks, Mom. And I don't know, and I'm sure she doesn't remember that. I know she's going to hear this and it is what it is because that's what happened. Um, But I don't know why that was her response. I think that it was just another thing on her plate to deal with and she was already dealing with so much. Um, but it kind of just, I, I don't know if it healed itself or if it was just a change in circumstance. Um, there were times where I would make myself throw up, but I don't feel like it's been a problem since I was like 18 years old, Yeah, which is interesting to think about because normally those things are lifelong. Well, going back to home and, and personal life, 2008 ends, you're now with your dad who's sober. I imagine your drinking is going to continue, though, because you, you're... No, no, my dad was so fucking strict with me. I remember being like, why can't I go to the mall? Like, why can't I go to the movies? Like, he... It turned into a source of control for him, I think, controlling me. Yeah. Well, I wonder if there was also an aspect of that. And, I mean, obviously, he's the only one that can answer this. But, like, that was just, like... I'm going to be the father I never was. A hundred percent. I think that that definitely had something to do with it. Um, And him not really understanding mental health and understanding all of the steps leading up to that point. I think that that was definitely where he stood. He's like, I'm going to make it all right. Um, And it was very confusing for me. It was very traumatic and confusing. How long did you live with him at that point? I graduated in 2011, so my senior year was rough. I moved out halfway through my senior year. Like, I worked, like, three jobs and, like, nannied and, like, freaking closed out in Applebee's until 1 a.m. five nights a week when I was that young um, to pay for this apartment that I had sublet from a girl that I worked with at Red Robin. So that was Um, essentially right when you turned 18, you were like, bye. Peace out. Yeah, it was really toxic. So you, but you graduate high school, right? Yep. Uh, was graduated high school. I was living in an apartment. I was by myself. What was that um, like as an 18 year old college or high school student? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was, it was super crazy. But were you like, was it, I was working at Applebee's till one in the morning. So that's all oh, I did. Yeah. Or was it, did you party? Like what was, what was yeah, your... I had a couple parties. I was, I, I remember that. My friends would, like, come over to my apartment before high school to, like, get high. Like, we would smoke weed before we went into school. Okay. Because yeah, I, I, had was, I just wasn't sure if you would go, if you went that direction or if you went into, like, super strict with yourself, like, working a bunch of jobs. and. 
No, I was super strict with myself. Like, I worked my ass off. That is one thing I will say about myself. Like, I fucking loved money. We did not have money growing up. And I knew I could make money by working. Yeah. So I always worked a few jobs. And I always, I had, while I was working at Red Robin, that was my first, my first first job was at an ice cream shop called Ritter's. It's frozen custard. It was so good. I, I wasn't working there when I moved into this apartment. But I lived there and like, I feel like I was super strict with myself in terms of working. Like I babysat a ton. I worked all of the time yeah. at Applebee's. I mean, I picked up every shift that I could. I just hustled. Like I was like, Oh my God. Like when my, when my eyes opened to how much money I can make waitressing, I was like doubles every weekend. Like I was working every night that I could, you know, and it got to a point. So when I transferred to Wald Lake from Grand Blank in 10th grade, the way that the credits were worked out is I had, I was ahead like three credits because mm-hmm. of the amount that I needed in Grand Blank versus Wald Lake. And so I had this aha moment looking at my transcript and I was like, wait a second. Like I remember sitting in the counselor's office and the counselor at school knew I was living by myself. And I looked at her and she knew I was working all the time. And I said, if I do my math correctly, am I right in saying that I could technically not come to school until fourth hour every day for the rest of the school year, the second trimester or second semester and still graduate? And she goes, I can't technically tell you that, but you did your math correctly. (laughs) And that I, I stopped so you were like coming school. in at yeah, lunch. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I came in. I came in like third or fourth hour. It was like ten fifteen. I would get there every day, and I graduated. You know, I bought my own prom dress, bought my own cap and gown. It was wild, and I ended up moving out and bouncing around from there. And I, you yeah, know, what happened? You meet your husband at twenty three. Is that right? Yeah, I met my husband at twenty three. So what happens between? 18 and 23. <laughs> Give me some highlights. <laughs> some highlights. Oh, geez. I mean, what's what happened? Are you regularly... I moved to Utah. Well, how old were I you when I, that happened? I thought that I, I was 20 when I moved to Utah. I okay. turned 21 in Utah, and then I moved home. I wanted to be Mormon. Like, I... Back up. <laughs> I know. It's like how did old... How did that happen? Were you religious growing up at all? Yeah, my grandma Gracie is a pastor. My dad's mom. My We grew up going to church... My like my uncle Jeff is a pastor, and I was surrounded by a lot of religion. My grandma, we went to church with her every time we would stay there. She's Lutheran. Well, I guess yeah. Your mom and dad met at a church camp. Yeah, where where, yeah. where she got pregnant at a church. Camp. <laughs> um, no shit, right? <laughs> that's fun. Oh, I, I guess I never thought about the religious aspect of it. Religion always fascinates me. So, at what point are you like, oh, Mormonism? That's was it a. I've gone down this path too far and I want to get back and religion's the only thing that can do it for me. Or was it just no, curiosity? Not at or all. Was it, I don't... it was so let me just put the whole caveat there about the yeah. religion growing up. Like we went to, to church and stuff, but I couldn't tell you anything about the Bible. Like yeah. I, I feel like it was a place that my mom found comfort in, in the community and it's funny because even at like the, the, the ch- what's funny is my parents got divorced, but the only church that we went to was the church that my grandma went to, <laughs> my dad's mom. Um, and he didn't go oh, there. Funny. We were. Yeah. So. So there's that. But no, I don't feel like I ever really learned 
too much about actual religion, to be honest. So I was doing so let me just let me just give you yeah. like a very quick like <laughs> soundbite of of the Mormon trail that I went down. I was involved with an MLM. What is that? And a multi-level marketing. Oh, it yeah, was some yeah, yeah, stupid yeah. weight loss bullshit. Yeah, yeah, and I fucking bought into it. And I went to this retreat in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I met this guy, Tanner, and he worked for corporate, and he was so freaking handsome to me. And he was Mormon, and we ended up keeping in touch. And long story short, I ended up going to a Mormon church because I was like, okay, Mormonism sounds cool. Like, he was back living in Utah after we met in Arizona, and he was back living in Utah doing his thing. And I was in Michigan just freaking floating along in time and space, like not like freaking couch surfing, basically. And I was like, I'm going to go to a Mormon church and see what this is all about. And I went and I met this family and she had a sister who lived in Utah right around where Tanner lived. And so I planned this whole trip. And I flew out there to see Tanner, but I stayed with this girl's sister and Tanner blew me off while I was there. Like I didn't see him the whole time I was there. Bummer. Real bummer. Right. I mean, he was a playboy, whatever, but I instantly like going to the Mormon church. Like I truly felt like I felt found my calling. Like I was like, this is exactly what I've always been looking for. Because if you think about it, Mormonism is wrapped in a very pretty little box of like, wholesome family units you know you get married quickly you have this beautiful well-kept clean appearance and it was so attractive to me that stability confused why that was so attracted to you i mean you started this interview by saying how like you never wanted to get married you never wanted to have kids when you're younger and now like it was attractive because i was searching for something i was searching for stability and at that point i had already freaking been around the block a hundred times and i i was 20 years old and i was like this looks like what i want if i'm ever going to do this you know it looked clean it looked easy and none of it ever happened because i didn't live in utah for that long and i very quickly after i moved to utah realized like oh this is a cult like (laughs) i'm not doing this like i'm not conforming and i was on probation too i throw that in there i was i got arrested that summer for underage drinking and like having like weed on me. And so I was on probation and they won't confirm you into the church. If you're on probation, like you have to be like clean or something. (laughs) So I, I moved there and I remember I got off probation, but I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want to be confirmed. I like lied about it. And I was like, I'm moving home like ASAP. Um, And so I moved home and I, I, ended up staying with my dad and Erica in Garden City for a while. And I just, I don't know. It's like very erratic, a very erratic time period from the time I graduated high school to meeting my husband. So how do you, how do you meet your husband? So I met my husband. I was bartending at Applebee's and I had met this, business owner of this construction company and he was like enamored. He, he was older i want I, I wouldn't say he was enamored by me. he was super impressed with me he's like you don't belong working in a restaurant and he gave me a job making way more than i was qualified to at his construction company nice 
And so I was, I took on this like coordinator role, like project coordinator at this company. And I had to figure out getting all of their files digitized. I had to bring them up to speed on like digital stuff. And so I found this company, I'm not going to plug the company, (laughs) but I found this company and I met this guy, Ryan, and we like instantly clicked and we started I don't want to say dating, but I started hanging out with his friends. Like, I guess we were dating, but I met Frank through Ryan. Frank was renting office space from Ryan (laughs) and Ryan had just broken up with this girl. He had been dating like long-term. He didn't know what he wanted. I was looking for a a fun time. I was taking college classes out where he lived. I lived in South line at the time. So I would stay at his house all the time because his house was super close to where I was going to school. Yeah, It was a whole thing. And then one day he's like, I was like preparing to like move into his house. And he's like, I think I'm in love with my ex-girlfriend. And I was like, okay, goodbye. Like (laughs) I'm out. He's like, no, like, let me, he's like, let me figure this out. And I'm like, no. So Frank swooped in. Like, I remember when we would go to the, when I would go to the bar, like with Ryan, this guy, Frank was there. Like there was a big group of people. But Frank, like, always would stare at me with, like, the most loving eyes. Like, he would, like, I would catch him staring at me. Nobody's ever looked at me this way in my life. And looking back, it's really sweet. After, like, I called it quits, Ryan and I called it quits, Frank swooped in. We were dating within, like, two weeks of that happening. And it was one of those things. It was one. It was very quick. (laughs) Like, we went to Frankenmuth together, like, week one. Like, it was it was hot and heavy very quickly. And it was one of those things where looking back, it was very serendipitous how it happened. And Frank was like, I swooped in because I knew that I would never see you again if I didn't, because I was only around because of this guy. I was like haphazardly dating. Right. Which was just a fun time. And things moved pretty quickly with Frank and I, and like it's had its ups and downs, but really like Frank is, I don't even know how to explain it. He is like the most patient, kind, loving, doting person. And it has taken me a long time. It took me a long time to realize that I do deserve that. Like it was one of the things where I'm like, I don't deserve you. Like this isn't going to last. Like there's no way I deserve a love like this and commitment like this. Yeah. So yeah, we met because I was dating the guy he was renting office space from. And then when Frank and I started dating, it was a whole fiasco. Frank had to find a new office. <laughs> it was it was a little bit of drama, but it's all worked out now. Everyone's friends now. And well, that's good. It's good. It is good. It, it worked out how it was supposed to. Um, well, I thank you for already being on here for so long. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So I wanted to go down the path of um, getting pregnant. Cause oh, yeah. I only know like a tiny piece of that struggle from like talking to you and other people who are in class with. So what is, what does that journey look like? We didn't try to get pregnant until we got married. Like that was one thing we both were very like committed to was not having kids outside of marriage. And I never thought that I would have trouble getting pregnant because I had gotten pregnant before. Okay. So I got pregnant in early 2016 and it was by a guy who I was with because I felt like I needed to be with somebody it was was with this guy because I was a selfish 
mean young girl who wanted attention and we got pregnant and I am I cried every single day because I was pregnant and I like I made him buy me a promise ring like I it was crazy I don't want to go down that rabbit hole but I got an abortion and I cried every single day up until getting that abortion and that is something that whoever is listening the majority of people don't know that it was an abortion um, most of the people close to me thought that I had a miscarriage and that's how I played it off because I was not ready to own that. Yeah. Um, we live in a society that a lot of people shame people for that and that's fucked up. Yeah. It was one of those things where I saw my life flash before my eyes. And I remember my mom telling me, Emily, you don't, you don't have to do this. You don't have to live with this if you aren't ready to, and I was absolutely not. And I was talked out of it twice by him. And it was the best decision I ever made because I wasn't ready. And that was not the person that I wanted. I knew what I wanted my family life to look like if I ever were to go down that path. And that was not it. So flash forward to meeting my husband and us knowing, and he knew about the abortion. Like it was in my mind, it was like, it never happened. And I feel no remorse, no guilt. I feel like it was 100% the correct decision to make. So that's fast forward to my pregnancy journey with my husband because that's the positive one. So I guess not all the way positive, but we went on our honeymoon and it had just so happened that we, I was ovulating on our honeymoon honeymoon because I started, excuse me, I started tracking my ovulation before the wedding because I wanted to know like, am I going to be fertile on my wedding night? You know? Yeah. I was supposed to be, I was ovulating on our honeymoon. And so, of course, you just are like rabbits on a honeymoon, of course. Our honeymoon was incredible. And I was just convinced. I was like, I'm going to get pregnant on my honeymoon. Like, I got pregnant having sex one time with this guy. I'm not going to have any trouble getting pregnant when I try to get pregnant. And I had gotten like a super faint positive pregnancy test but then I had gotten my period as scheduled so that is what you would call a chemical pregnancy so it wasn't like nothing like I don't think anything implanted and I I I personally don't really consider it a miscarriage I don't feel any like emotional attachment to it yeah um so that happened and then fast forward to like the winter it was December and I had started getting positive tests again and I was like super excited. So we went into the, I went into the doctor to get my blood drawn and it was a pretty low HCG level. And then I went in for the second draw. So what they do is they take your blood and then they do it like two or three days later to make sure that it had like doubled correctly. Cause that is telling you that your body is, you know, having a normal pregnancy when your HCG yeah. doubles in a certain time period. So it had went down after my second blood draw and at that point, there was, like, like a three-day wait. Like, at that point, I had already, like, surprised Frank and been, like, we're pregnant. Like, this, the pregnancy line was so dark on the test. And I'm, like, we're, we're pregnant. Like, surprise. Like, I did this whole thing. I went and got, like, huge balloons. And I was, like, what is a dad? You. You is a dad. Like, super cute. So excited. And then I get an email. It wasn't even a phone call from this stupid-ass doctor. And she's, like, Emily, your levels have dropped. This is not consistent with normal pregnancy. Nothing further needs to be done. So she didn't 
track my the fuck HCD does that levels. mean <laughs> nothing for it was an email too i'm like what oh my god did yeah you, it was did horrible. you lose your fucking mind at the i was so sad i was i was sad i wasn't like as beat up as you would have thought i was sad because i didn't think i would have trouble getting pregnant and yeah. i went through a long time of thinking that it was punishment for getting an abortion yeah that was a huge thing to work through in, in, in therapy was I truly thought that I was being punished cosmically. Well, I mean, at this I point in your life, you're like a professional at assigning shame to yourself for things. So. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> just slap it on my forehead. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, That's... but the crazy thing is that after that, I, in, that was December. So fast forward to January and I'd gone in for my, normal labs for the year like my yearly checkup and she was like well we're gonna draw your hcg just to make sure it's down to zero she's like i you'll be fine but let's just do it and i get a phone call on a friday and she's like congratulations your hcg is like 2000 like you are definitely pregnant call the ob go in for an ultrasound like so excited so congratulatory and so we're like, holy shit, like, this is crazy. Like, we were so excited that whole weekend. And we made an appointment for Monday to go get an ultrasound. And we went to the OB. And we went into the room to get the ultrasound. And I was laying there. And this particular place that we went, it's kind of, it was kind of like a movie screen in front of, like, the bed that you're laying on. And so I got to see the whole thing. And I knew something was wrong because I couldn't see anything in my uterus after a couple minutes but i saw a mass up to the upper right and it turns out it was an ectopic pregnancy so what that means is that the baby or the fetus or the whatever the fuck you want to call it was growing in my fallopian tube oh no yeah so there was obviously no chance of survival like those situations are why banning abortion is catastrophic because if I wouldn't have been able to get that removed, I would have likely died. It would have ruptured something yeah. like you have to get that out of your body. You have to. Yeah. Um, so it's a big question mark as to whether or not that ectopic was from the December pregnancy. And I had like a 10 week ectopic inside of my body or if it was a new one. So that's what we don't know if it was. And we'll never know. Yeah. So I had to go to the hospital and they give you this shot. I wanted them to cut it out of me. I said, take my fallopian tube out. I don't want it. I was like so hard and fast. Take it out of me. And I was convinced to just do like the treatment. So you go to the hospital. They give you like a low dose of chemo and it like dissolves it. Yeah. It was super mentally trying because I expected something to pass and your body reabsorbs it. So that was like super mentally trying. Yeah. Did for they me. tell you that up front? No, I had to find out after like, I think, like I was like, how come I'm not like passing anything? What? They're like, oh, your body absorbs it, and I was like, holy fuck! I had like a panic attack in the doctor's office. They gave me Xanax, and I hadn't taken Xanax in years. Jesus. It was so depressing, and I remember being so depressed on my birthday. And then I had like my wisdom teeth taken out on Valentine's Day that year. It was just, it was a very rough start to that year. Um, so we had gotten referred to a recurring loss clinic because at that point we had like the chemical pregnancy, 
which they counted as a miscarriage. And then we had had the December pregnancy, which miscarriage, and then the ectopic. But it's up in the air whether or not those two were the same pregnancy or not. So Mm -hmm. they referred me anyway, just, you know. And the recurring loss clinic referred us to Michigan IVF. And it's, we had, so we got the referral to Michigan IVF in the spring. And I never did anything with it. They were like, you can't try to have kids again for like three months after the ectopic. And so we didn't try. Um, And I sat on this referral. I had it in my office just sitting there for months and months and months. And we started trying again in the summer. I would say late summer, we started trying and nothing. I mean, every month it was just like negative tests, negative tests. And I'm like, this is just crazy. Like I never thought, and still I had to work through that for so long in therapy. I just, every time I thought it was punishment for getting an abortion, which I know is not true. Yeah. That fall, it was October and October, 2019. And I said, we're going to stop trying. Like, I can't mentally do this anymore. We're going to go to IVF. Our insurance covers infertility treatments. So we were going to wait until January to go to Michigan IVF. So that it was at the beginning of our insurance year. So that like, (laughs) I know how that works. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, we're going to wait just because it makes the most sense to wait. I'm not going to like do this at the end of the insurance year. Yeah. So we stopped trying in October and we had sex one time in November, and it was November, It was yesterday, a year ago, November 22nd. We had sex. Fast forward a week later, I was hosting Thanksgiving. We hosted a huge Thanksgiving last year, and I was in the kitchen cooking, and my mom came up to me, and she was, like, whispering something, and I was like, what are you talking about? And she's, like, some, whispering something about somebody being pregnant. I was like, Mom, everybody here is, like, 70 years old. Like, nobody's pregnant. And you know that I've been trying to get pregnant for a long-ass time, and we can't get pregnant. Like, why would you say this to me? She's like, it's you. Like, you're pregnant. And I was like, fuck you, Sharon. And <laughs> she's like, no. Like, your nose is puffy. Like, she said that's how she could tell. And I was like, whatever. So I brushed it off. And she just gave me this look, and she was like, it's you. And the next day, Black Friday, is, like, the anniversary of, like, our first date ever. And we always decorate our house for Christmas on Black Friday. Same. So we were, so, do you? Is that when you do it? It's, like, the perfect time. It's, like, you give Thanksgiving its moment and then deck the halls, you know? Yeah. We had just gotten home. We went to Meyer to buy, like, peppermint vodka. We were going to make, like, peppermint hot chocolates and drink and yeah. deck our halls. And something in the back of my mind, obviously my mom in the back of my mind, I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my head. I'm like, why did she say that? I'm like, I'm like, there's no way we had sex one time. Like we were having sex like rabbits for months on end and nothing. And I'm like, I think I have one pregnancy test left somewhere. And it ended up being in my glove box for some reason. Of course. Like always gotta, yeah, I gotta give your glove box pregnancy tests on hand. Duh. So... Condoms, a gun, and a pregnancy test. That's what you just, you know, and maybe some gummies. The magic, the magic trio, right? (laughs) So we, I took the test. Frank was upstairs on like he was on the phone on the computer. I took the test. I was like getting our hot chocolates ready. I set it down, went and like poured myself a drink, and I was going back into the bathroom to throw the test in the garbage. And there was two fucking lines, and I like shit my pants. I was like, there is no way. 
A, there's no way I got pregnant naturally. And B, there's no way that Sharon called it. Like, there's no way. So I took the test and I went and I sat it in front of Frank. He's like on the phone. And I sat it in front of him and he like looked up at me and he like stuttered and like, he's like, I have to go. Like, he had to get off the phone immediately. And it was something was different about it. Like, we both, it just felt like it was the right, it felt like it was the one that was going to stick. And it did. And that's, that's when we found out we were pregnant. I mean, I I took tests religiously for a week after that, obviously. And we went and got everything confirmed to the doctor. Um, no, I actually didn't go to a doctor at all with that one. We decided to do home birth before that. And so we called the midwife and we went in for an appointment with the midwife and she referred us to go get an ultrasound. And we, we stayed a hundred percent out of the medical model for that, for that pregnancy. And part of it was because we had we had spent so much money on like the miscarriage of the ectopic and like I was getting bills for like a year after that. Like why am I getting $300 random bills from Beaumont? Like what the fuck? So, you know, people ask me what made you choose home birth? And I honestly like never considered giving birth in a hospital. Like it never crossed my mind. It all like that thought of that gives me anxiety, but yeah, we, we went and saw the midwife and I had no medical traditional medical model intervention at all for the whole pregnancy and he was healthy as a clam yeah yeah and you uh you were brave enough to to post all the all the pictures online i mean you you went in depth with all your pictures you want to go behind your reasoning behind that and yeah i mean i mean i I didn't even know there was a thing where photographers were there let alone uh yeah it was really cool we yeah so we with the with the previous December 2019 pregnancy, we had met with a doula. Yeah. And she referred us to this midwife, and we had met with the midwife as well. And then when we miscarried, I just ghosted her. I was like, we're not going to need your services. So, but I... <laughs> but I... But I called her again at this pregnancy, and we went and saw her, and she's the one we ended up going with, and she was incredible. It was, it was the most incredible experience of my life. If anybody is interested in home birth, literally just give me a call. Like I will tell you all about it. But yeah, we were really fortunate to have a birth photographer come and she came. I started going into labor at like 2 a.m. on Sunday. And then that Sunday night at like 6 p.m. she showed up at her house and I gave birth at like 2.44 a.m. So it was amazing. Like it was, I, I don't even remember her being there. <laughs> It was, she was just like in the corner and we had these amazing, beautiful, I'm in the room right now that I gave birth in. It was my office (laughs) and it was incredible. I mean, I wouldn't change a single thing. I hated being pregnant. I was so sick my whole pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, did you have like a anxiety and fear that at one point the pregnancy wasn't going to happen? Like it was going to like, no, it was so weird. Like it, it, I didn't feel I mean, at the very beginning, I was a little leery, Yeah, but I feel like I, like in my gut knew that this was the one that was going to stick. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It was just like, it happened. So it happened naturally. It happened, you know, they always say it happens when you stop trying and it literally did. Yeah. I mean, I think I personally, and this is just from, you know, reading and discussing things with my therapist and stuff and just like from what I understand, especially if you already, if you're an anxious person, like 
when you have it scheduled out so much and you're tracking your ovulation, you there's so much anxiety and stress created around it that like it actually negatively affects the chances of you getting pregnant because you're creating that environment within yourself. The other thing I should have mentioned as well is that I was smoking weed <laughs> when we were trying to get pregnant a lot. Yeah. And when we stopped smoking weed is when I got pregnant. So I think that that might have had something to do with it as well. <laughs> I have, well, I will, I will keep that in there if anybody wants to reach out to you and with questions. Oh, yeah. And any of that. I mean, it's a whole different world. Like they come to you and our experience of giving birth in our home and then going into my bath and sitting in an herbal bath with my brand new baby and my husband by my side and then crawling into my own bed with fresh sheets. Everything in the house was clean. The birth pool was taken down. The sheets were made. There was laundry going and crawling into my bed with my brand new baby was like, just the most magical experience. Like I loved being in labor and I loved giving birth. I would do that a hundred times over if I didn't have to be pregnant for nine months, (laughs) (laughs) which is usually the opposite. And I feel so fortunate because a lot of women hate the birth, have the opposite experience. They hate it, you know? And I think it really has to do with medical intervention. And I, and I think, you know, different things work for different people. And I'm not saying one is better than the other, But the experiences of other women that I've heard, I feel more often than not that they get unnecessary intervention because that's kind of how the medical model functions. They pressure you into doing things you don't want to do. They don't respect your wishes. And the idea of being tied to a bed with IVs in my arm was not the experience that I wanted. Um, And I was fortunate enough to be able to afford it um i will say in terms of cost though that what our out-of-pocket responsibility for a no complications hospital birth was almost exactly the same as what we paid out of pocket for our midwife to have home birth so yeah we just paid it up front instead of after the fact <laughs> yeah well, that's so. awesome i'm glad you had that experience and now you have a baby that you had during covid but you had you got to have it in your in your home and I know. It was amazing. It was so cool. Thank you. This is, I haven't sat down with someone for two hours in a long time. So thank you so much. Really? Yeah. I was going to ask how long they normally go Um, for. Hour, hour and a half. I would love to hear. I would love to talk to you more. That'd be awesome. Well, I'm around. This is like so interesting. All right. You just listened to my interview with Emily. I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was, I mean, she really ran the gambit on her entire childhood of, uh, I mean, pretty much anything you can go through. And this is, <laughs> this is half of the interview. <laughs> I cut about, I, I cut it down like almost by half. Um, just took some stuff out and, and the stuff that she, she shared and the, just the, the way she can speak about her experiences from this mature place where she's worked through it. It's not a source of shame, um, it's not a source of like, you know, anger, regret, resentment. Uh, it's it's really inspiring. And I, I'm so thankful that she shared all this with me and with you guys. And if you still have questions for our therapist, Jenny Helms, make sure you email them to justinsfriendrequest at gmail.com. Or you can message me on any social media platform at friendrequestpod. And other than that, I guess I will talk to you guys in next week. Holidays are creeping up. January's creeping up and I've got some fun stuff planned.
So stay tuned, and thanks again. I love you guys. Please reach out. Any feedback you have, it's lonely over here. I don't get messages <laughs> from me. <laughs> but seriously, reach out. Let me know what you guys think of the podcast. What do you like? What do you not like? I think even more important, right? Let's. I'm a little bit of a people pleaser. How can I please you? Don't look into that. That's what she said. All right. I will talk to you guys next week. I love you. Bye-bye.